Yeah, yeah, I hear you. You know, it's funny after I was um after I read this Spider Man issue, which I didn't realize I had read before, but it was yeah. like a really long time ago. Um, I went, I've gone back and I looked at um, I just looked at today's Spider Man f- uh, fighting Luke Cage for the first time. It was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> it was too, it was too funny. That's a good and, one, right? Yeah, it was pretty. It was actually pretty good. Like um, I think it's one twenty eight. It's like uh-huh. after. It's after Gwen Stacy gets killed. Right. Yeah. So like uh, that, yeah, that was pretty fun. Um, yeah, that's a pretty fun issue. So so that's like a good one to go back to at some point because there's like uh there's like a there's a Jameson element in hiring Luke Cage and it's it's a it's 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 a fun story. It's just a lot of that jive turkey talk that we got oh. back then. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Marvel Did What, part of the Marvel Cinematic University podcast umbrella. I'm one of your co-hosts, Anthony Canton III, and also joined by my co-host, Stephanie Williams. Stephanie, how are you? How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. And we're going we're gonna to get into a really uh, fun and fascinating uh, Spider-Man issue in a few minutes. The Amazing Spider-Man number 300, Web of Spider-Man. Uh, but before we do that, a story has come to our attention that I felt like that it's, it was important to discuss uh, from earlier. Uh, this came out, I think this came out Sunday. Yeah. So actor Peter Shinkoda, who was in season two of Daredevil, uh, you know, came out and said that Jeff Loeb, who, who, who ran Marvel TV back then, um, basically made a lot of racist comments and to just be specific about it. Um, he said during the season two, uh, storyline with the hand, um, he goes basically that Jeff Loeb says, nobody gives a shit about Asian people. That's just that that's basically part of it. But the storyline, uh, he recalls involved this character gaining access to a different country under the guise of needing a transplant. Uh, Shinkoda says the writers themselves were very apologetic about cutting the plot line. So Jeff Loeb then refers to the Blade trilogy in which in which Wesley Snipes' character Blade kills a bunch of uh, Asian quote unquote bad guys who don't require a backstory. And this is these are Loeb's words according to Shinkoda. And it's kind of crazy that he just goes quote unquote nobody gives a shit, so don't write about Nobu and Gao. So the writers were essentially forced to put their storyline down and drop it. And, and a funny thing, Steph, before you go on this is, you know, we've talked about Daredevil on this show. And one of the primary issues with season two that we and the Defenders to a lesser degree is the, the whole hand storyline and how it just kind of seemed not only empty, but it almost seemed like it didn't need to be there. But when now with this context it kind of illuminates why that was the case. Uh, what do you think of the whole scenario? Um, I think it's trash. And Very. I also kind of feel like it's disappointing, but not surprising. Uh, just given how season two went. And I don't remember season three of Daredevil, so don't even ask me about it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I stopped midway through um, season two. And the only reason why I went back to finish it was because of Defenders, which I barely wanted to watch either because 
the hand um, and the rest of the Asian characters were just an afterthought. It was just the same tired trope of you all are just here to service the story in a way that, you know, you're just there for fodder. Um, So, I mean, everything you said is just, is of course disappointing, but unfortunately it's not surprising at all. So it's funny, like we we talked about it during the Storm episode about the lack of diversity, not only in, in the MCU, but just in television in general. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's funny that the, that the CW and the DC uh, film and TV element have at least tried to um, remedy these things with, with their casts. Uh, obviously we heard about what happened with Batwoman once, once uh, Ruby Rose left. Um, you know, they they went in a different direction of uh, diversity. And you've heard many of Marvel characters, uh, Don Cheadle and Anthony Mackie being two who have been pretty vocal on on the subject. So now I know we talked about this before, but I guess kind of t- to reiterate the whole situation, I think it's one of those things where it's not the 1960s anymore. Mm-hmm. So like we kind of just need to just tell the stories as they are and give people a chance to tell those stories because guess what? People of different colors and different orientations tell really, really new and different stories. There comes a point in time where if you're going to keep telling the same old thing and doing it the same old way and not giving uh, people uh, the importance that they deserve, then ultimately all of these people who, you know, invest in the content and who want to be a part of the content like we are, are just not going to have the same amount of interest in it. And like you had uh, stated, you're going to drop off and you're not going to watch because you know when you see something that's not good or not up to par um, in that sense and not being treated with the care that it deserves, then it's going to be an issue. So it's, you know, we can beat this drum forever, but the bottom line is we're going to have to just keep pounding on the door and keep pounding on the door until things things officially you know change or at least people attempt to change their mindsets because part of it is a mindset a guy like jeff Loeb, clearly and i've just seen numerous tweets over the past 24 hours um in people who have worked under him basically that he's the type of dude that just has this general thought uh this general kind of racist thought about everything in general mm-hmm. and wants to just do things a certain way so you know, it is what it is from that aspect, but I'm glad that um, Mr. Shinkoda uh, came out and said that because it really provided a lot of context for me as somebody who's talked about this uh, this show and really kind of wondered what happened there. Right. And now you kind of know, and it, it is very disappointing and you wish that, you know, that, that somebody doesn't have to go through stuff like that because the main thing is they don't really have to go through stuff like that. It, it would be, I just don't understand. Yeah, I mean, I kind of understand, but like just from a basic uh, element of human decency, mm-hmm. it's just, it's just really, really dumb. And like you said, it's trash. So, um, you know, hopefully in the future with uh, more and more of these things starting to come out as, uh, you know, we've tried to have a little bit more of a an open dialogue and people coming out with more stories about uh, what's happened with them, whether it be black, Asian, whatever, whatever race um, here that is trying to break through and trying to have an impact in these in these jobs, 
um, you want things to be different. So I do hope that uh, we get there at some point. Oh, for sure. And definitely uh, more representation behind the camera as well. Yeah. Um, and, you know, beyond that. So yeah, executives. That maybe, yeah. Yeah. So maybe things like this just don't happen because they aren't given the space to be to to be okay. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it'll be interesting to see going forward if anything comes of it. I know Jeff Loeb is uh, currently executive producing, uh, I think, uh, either Secret Warriors and um, Hellstrom. Hellstrom is coming out in, uh, on Hulu in October, which, you know, they haven't really, uh, the MCU hasn't really put their name on it. It's one of those uh, Marvel TV projects that kind of got under the gate at the last second. Yeah. So we'll see what happens with that. But uh, we are going to transition into the episode that we're doing today. Obviously, Amazing Spider-Man 300. Uh, this was Stephanie's Choice, Web of Spider-Man, the colorist Bob Sharpin, the inker Todd McFarlane. No, oh, there's a familiar name. Letterer Rick Parker and writer David Michelini. So it's it, it, this this thing was it, it obviously brings back memories because it makes me think of the Spider-Man TV show. It makes me think of Spider-Man 3, the movie, because it's just of all the elements. And, and this is the original uh, story where the whole uh, Peter Parker uh, gets rid of the symbiote and Eddie Brock takes it. So what, for, in terms of general thoughts as we, as we dive into this thing, what, what did you think of Amazing Spider-Man 300? Um, it captures like all of my favorite elements that uh, just bring me joy when I read comics. So the messiness, uh, between yes. Venom, <laughs> well, Eddie Brock, the Venom symbiote, and also Peter Parker, um, it's just that whole little messy triangle. And then also, it's, I don't know, like I, as I've been going back and reading more um, Spider-Man comics, I've kind of gravitated towards this whole thing of uh, Mary Jane uh, Watson and Peter's relationship. Like mm-hmm. they, um, they're like kinky canonically. Like it's, <laughs> it's yeah, good. yeah, um, very, very. Uh, they got a, they got. They, there's definitely a very uh, sexual energy. Um, yeah, it's a healthy sex life, too. right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and I didn't realize how closely related in that way they were to uh, DC's um, Mr. Miracle and uh, Big Barda. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so because of that and then also just seeing uh just the story unfold between peter and um and venom or spider-man and venom or whatever is just always a story that i've always enjoyed because it's so dramatic and it's uh, almost shakespearean in a way um the way like they stand off at the end and how peter actually ends up defeating or so he believes defeating venom and mm-hmm. just like this scorn lover um aspect to it yeah, um, it was very lifetime. It was very. It, it felt very lifetime. I really think, and we'll we'll lead off with, uh, can you translate this story to screen? I know they've tried. They definitely have tried to. Um, I I for one think that they definitely can. Man, you could put you could put part of this this issue on Cinemax. You could put a part of this issue, like I said, on Lifetime. <laughs> Man, there's just there's a there's a whole lot of uh, wonderful innuendos here. Is it, how about you? What do you think about that? Oh, for sure. Um, I think it'd be best if it was like on uh, Skinamax, or if it went to theater, like it would be a hard R. Um, yep. just because of some of that. Um, because I feel like 
not even just the stuff between Peter and Mary Jane. Um, if you wanted to get a little, I don't want to say weird, but lean into that uh, romanticism of um, Venom, Eddie Brock, Peter Parker, you can get into that too. So I know they've tried to bring the story to life before in Spider-Man 3 and some elements of that I did enjoy, but like, I want them to try it again, but I want them to like really stick to issue 300 and just kind of pull as many elements from that as they can. Like, just focus on that. You don't need any other baddies or anything like that. Just focus on this and nothing else. And it's enough for two hours. Yeah, yeah. And I think you make a great point there. This story on its own can definitely fit an entire movie. Um, Even if you wanted to do a miniseries on just this this, uh, relationship aspect between Brock and the symbiote and and, uh, Brock and Peter Parker, that that aspect is is very fun like it's just this very stalkerish uh, type of vibe uh, spider-man spider sense doesn't work around venom so that's like it adds a little bit more to it mm-hmm. um in the previous issue that ended it uh venom shows up uh, at mary jane's uh, apartment and just says hey honey and right. it's just it's like yeah it's just very creepy and um, she's obviously scared enough that she tells Peter at the end of this issue to take off the black suit. And uh, he dons the red and blue once again. So, yeah, there is just so many aspects of this story that, that are fun. I mean, I even thought the the Aunt May, and they mm-hmm. splashed it a little bit. I thought the whole um, Aunt May wanting to stay um, out of uh, Mary Jane and Peter's uh, lives to let them grow as a couple was just so very, it's so very not what happens in real life. Um, it was well, very forward and very progressive in that sense. I thought that was cool too. Well, because I think um, maybe a few issues beforehand, she actually walks in on them. What? <laughs> yes. Um, I promise I will get you that exact issue, but um, oh, yeah, she I'll go back. walks in on them. And I think that it happens... Um, I don't know, like a few issues or so before beforehand. So that totally made knowing that made sense why she was like, Yeah, no, 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 no. You guys get your own place. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. That's really cool. Um, I it was like I know when I first started reading it again, I had sent a tweet out um to you about uh about the writing in this. The writing in this is genius. The then when Mary Jane's taking the photos and then she takes her top off. And then the and then the dude uh, the the dude writes at the bottom uh, slowly Peter's spirits begin to rise. That's just like that's perfect. It's it's dad jokeish and it's the double entendre at the same time. Just and perfect like, writing, man. I know, and like I really appreciate it. And you could say what you want about just look. You're reading older comics. There are going to be things that are like hella problematic. But if you just Go in knowing that you can enjoy, um, you know, panels like, or this entire page, really, that Mary Jane is going to cure Peter's suppression with her tits. It's like, I mean, listen, these can cure, a, a, well, at least have a positive effect on depression. I, I, <laughs> I would agree with that statement right there. <laughs> I certainly would. Um, it's, <laughs> oh. Here's a here, here's a, like a random question because it's, since we've had so much in, since we've had so much of this issue have innuendo in it, I have to admit that I really had a question towards the end of this issue when we see Benjamin Grimm as Peter is uh, returning Brock 
to uh, a cell from the Fantastic Four that they're able to hold him in the symbiote. And Ben Grimm is wearing these pajamas. Oh, Lord. <laughs> with the Felix the Cat uh, <laughs> logo on it. <laughs> that, that that just made me laugh. And then, of course, I, I had... I had a I had a question because I didn't realize I never thought about this with uh, Benjamin Grimm, and I know this is usually um, our producer G- Jay Christie's corner when it comes to Vision and asking that question. But have you ever thought about Ben Grimm and what's happening down there? Does he have um, a penis all the time? Um, so <laughs> say that to be a perv, but um, it crosses my mind because when you think I think of like Silver Surfer, well obviously nothing is there yeah um when i think of colossus and the fact that it's an organic still form i'm wondering hey <laughs> is that turning and then also <laughs> is it still temperature regulated because it's organic <laughs> so then of course with van Grimm, i'm thinking does he and the answer is actually yes he does well okay and uh Oh man, I used to know this issue by heart, but it's a Fantastic Four issue. Uh, this is when the other Miss Marvel was with them, and she turned into—I <laughs> was going to say Miss Thing, but that you <laughs> think of Monica, uh, the singer. But anyway, like she literally turns into a Miss Thing, and they, um, her and Ben get busy in oh, that what? form. Yeah, like Johnny's next door. So I think I tweeted once, like. Johnny was in the next room, bed rocking, and probably thought it was a like a seven, like a, like a scale seven earthquake or whatever. So, to answer your question, yes. Well, yes. how about that? We learned. See, we learn things on this show. Steph is so informed on the storylines and things that we need to know that are so important for our education when it comes to Marvel comics. I really, really appreciate that. Oh man, it's a fun so, issue. Maybe we should talk about it, to be honest. No, no, wait, wait, what was that? It's a fun issue, so maybe we should talk about it at, at some later date, but it's definitely one that we should go over. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, that would actually be pretty cool, because I was thinking about that. He had the pajamas on, and it's like, I, then I thought about, like, yo, he's always wearing that really small underwear. <laughs> um, it's just like, what's happening there? So that, so now, so now we know that. Um, was there something in this issue that you didn't like? Um, no. <laughs> and I know I said we were supposed to get better about picking stuff that we didn't necessarily, you know, that wasn't yeah. like perfect. And not that this issue is perfect, but no. Um, okay. like I said, it's like a perfect blend of all the stuff that I like. See, I found, I actually found the art to be a little disjointed. I don't know, like for, uh-huh. it, it's like one of those things where you're reading it and you, and not the, not the words, not the words itself, but... I don't know. There was something that felt not com- not entirely put together is mm-hmm. the best way I could describe it. I think, no, I, I totally think that's fair. Um, and I think for the most part, like when I read the early, you know, like, not, well, actually this was a late 80s comic. Um, comics get a little weird, or at least the art does. And not mm-hmm. weird in like a bad way, but you can tell that like there is this change in like, how do we maximize panels and uh, different elements? Because uh, there's a really cool uh, panel in the page where uh, Peter gets hit by uh, Venom and he's just flying across the page, literally. Oh, wow. Yeah, oh, and, okay. and that was pretty cool the way they kind of slice it up. But no, I can completely see how it's very disjointed. Because a couple pages I had to read several times. I'm like, wait, this isn't, 
right to left still? Are we going left to right? What's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, there was a little bit on? of that. I mean, not to say that I was completely disoriented, but it's just yeah. like a little bit of, okay, I have to gather my bearings to make sure that I'm reading what I'm reading and it's not just me getting old um, <laughs> uh, on, uh, from that standpoint. Uh, so continuing on, so who, who would you consider your favorite non-main character uh, in, in this, uh, this book? For me, actually, I felt like it was a tie between both Eddie Brock and Mary Jane. Um, oh, I thought sure. Mary Jane was really cool in this. I, I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed um, everything that she brought to the table. Her stepping, in for, um, her stepping in for Peter in terms of not only emotionally with the whole titty situation, <laughs> but also... Um, with her fashion, her fashion stuff, she's, she's paying for stuff. So yeah, I know Peter feel like he a broke boy and that's, that's always been a Spider-Man trope, but uh, Mary Jane stepping in and, and handling, handling the business for the superhero was pretty cool. No, um, I'm going to have to agree. Uh, Mary Jane was my favorite part of this for several reasons, but one, cause I'm like, okay, girl, go ahead and get that fashion bag. Cause you can afford this big, this big ass place. And I just really love that even though her life is often in danger, um, the fact that she knows that Peter is Spider-Man, um, just that whole element of being um, with a superhero and being their, their significant other and like, you know, how you kind of navigate that. Yeah. I, and, and that's, the, and that's the funny thing. It's like, you also get the thoughts of Peter on the subject as he's, he's getting down about it and Mary Jane recognizes that. And it's funny how like sometimes in relationships that can be a thing Mm -hmm. where, where sometimes a woman, the woman is making more money than the man. And it's like managing, managing a guy's ego because our egos are just like, yeah, just out of, out of town. Anything can, anything like that could, could rupture it for sure. I really like the fact that they took, they took some time out there to, to care for it. And, um, you know, somebody like Spider-Man, who's a, who's a superhero and, you know, who's supposed to be feeling like he's the best at all times. I think it, it's, it's always cool to kind of see that not only the vulnerability from a, a mental standpoint when it comes to doing the job of, of a superhero, mm-hmm. but stuff like this, the human aspect, um, I thought was really cool, too. Hey, give me all the slice of life. Um, in between the fights. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. So in in terms of Brock, let's let's kind of talk about him because I know you I know you love discussing Brock That's and the true. symbiotes relationship and and how they get together is kind of it, it's kind of fun it's kind of funny because it just reminds you of all of the situations that you either see on TV or even in real life to a lesser degree where where it, somebody breaks up with somebody and they're looking for the first rebound mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and Brock had all of the animus towards Peter Parker already. So if you wanted to dive into like a little bit of how you feel about the story of Venom and how that's told and how that was told here, uh, what do you think? What are your thoughts? Uh, it makes me so appreciative of where Venom is now. Uh, Cause you see that when uh, the symbiote and Eddie get together it's their bonding they're literally bonding in misery right because they both yeah. hate <laughs> Peter Parker so for them to go from that to you know this entity that I guess is um, a hero I would consider an a anti-hero now yeah um, 
I just love it because it's kind of true. You got to build more and like your relationship has to be based on more than just one thing. And can you imagine Venom even being able to function if they were still uh, holding on to this hate that they have for Peter Parker? This is what makes um, Lethal Protector such a great series that I highly recommend and maybe you should go over at some point Mm -hmm. um, because it's in that where you see the shift in uh, Venom's whole aspect and feelings towards Peter. Actually, Spider-Man is the one who should have minded his business in this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, mean, I definitely want to get into that down the road with Venom. I remember doing when we did Venom First Host and you really kind of got a different perspective on it because you always think of Venom as this, it's just a villain. And mm-hmm. just a, you know, there's, there's just a lot of hatred uh, with Brock and Spider-Man, but I think that issue kind of showed um, a different side and even here like at the outset this this like oh wow this not only Brock but this symbiote is really hurt they're just really yeah. hurt they hurt and like heartbroken that this dude just didn't want to first on one hand Peter outing Brock in his uh, journalism career and uh and the symbiote just flat out rejected him and if anybody knows being rejected ain't a fun thing so mm-hmm. So it always depends on how you it depends on how you react in this situation, and I thought it was really brought out well uh, when it came to the the fights that they got into in this in this issue, the first of of many clashes between the two. Um, that was that was really uh, fun. What did you think about those? Oh, they were excellent. I loved them, and I think that's probably why that Spider-Man 3, I was like, wow, this is the best y'all can do as far as the, you know, the showdown fight between these two, because it's it's just way more fiercer in the comics. Like, I, Venom wants to tear his head, tear Spider-Man's head off, and it come, it jumps off the page. Like, they, I'm surprised that Church was still standing, because they wrecked it. Yeah, <laughs> they, sure, they sure did. And it's funny that you mentioned Spider-Man 3 because it's like, it's one of those things where I think about that that movie and I like to call Spider-Man 3 the crying game because everybody was crying <laughs> at that movie. Peter was crying, MJ was crying, Sandman was crying, Venom was crying. I was like, yo, when they had, when they had Eddie Brock crying there, like right like towards the, towards the end of the film, I was like, oh my God, what are we doing? What are we doing? They made it, a, they made it just this really gooey, sappy, uh, thing when it could have been uh, when it could have been so much more from that aspect. So, any time my my gears grind when I when I think about Spider Man three, especially after the first two films, right? And what they did there, and when they and they just decided to like kind of like throw away the story. It's oh, like they just threw it all into like a washing machine and said, "Okay, well we'll we'll just see." Yeah, let's, let's just happens. let's just put everything in and see what happens. <laughs> Yeah, it was just it was just one of those scenarios. But to kind of get back to the what you were talking about with the, the the fight scenes that jump off the page, it was really cool to see the brutality of uh, Venom physically. Um, and and it, I just like the fact that they made him basically twice uh, Peter's size mm-hmm. and just in terms of brute strength and, and, and abilities and stuff like that, where it forces Peter to use his brains um, in that scenario because obviously he has just so many disadvantages um, against against Venom. So that was really, really cool as well. So I was also thinking if you, if you, were, re, if you were rewriting this yourself, if you had a chance to rewrite it, um, what is something that you might add if you had a chance to add something to this? 
Hmm. I think I would add a little bit more to um, Venom's backstory, or not even necessarily add more to it, but just include it a little bit more of it in this issue. It's not that they don't do a good job of it. It's just that I would have liked a little bit more uh, of seeing like that rejects, like seeing Peter like fully reject the symbiote and then uh also at the same time uh just the way peter dismantled uh brock's life and again they show it but like i just wanted more of it because you just kind of get a page of it um like a page summary and that's it so i would like to physically see it on the page and then also just maybe one or two more pages added to just kind of add to it so that when we get to like the, the meat of this fight it's just like oh yeah you are really 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 trying to kill spider-man yeah i mean especially if you know especially if it's one of those things where in this issue was a little longer because it was a special issue mm-hmm. um yeah you could see you could see them kind of going back to brock and doing a little bit more um on it but then i then it's like one of those things actually i wouldn't i wouldn't mind if you gave Mary Jane the amount of time you gave her, gave Brock the amount of time that you give him, and and obviously Peter's story being the headliner. I think all three of those could fit. Now I know there's always editing and stuff like that 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 right. that comes into comes into play with these things. Um, and I should ask you, as somebody who writes comics, uh, what do you think about in terms of when you're writing something? And you you want to find space for everything, but at the same time, kind of leaving something off the table for next issue. How do you manage that? So with Living Heroes, I've like really gotten a taste of that uh, because it's written kind of sitcom style. Like trying to land the jokes uh, mm-hmm. is interest. Like trying to do that with the comic pages. So like when to like either keep that joke on the same page or make it on the next page, like, will it land better that way? So how many jokes can I fit in this page, but also at the same time tell some sort of story that, um, you know, is cohesive and, like, feeds into the next issue, but because it's sitcom style, like, it's episodic. So, um, like, having enough of a backstory that you are kind of following, you know is there, but it's not the focal point, if that makes sense. So it's like it's difficult. It's hard yeah. trying to figure out like what what to keep and what not to add because there's stuff I had to cut and I'm just like oh man I just really wanted that there. Oh man, so yeah, that makes me wonder because because uh, you know in in trying to think because I I've written a couple of poetry books myself and I always think like oh shoot I really come up with something after the fact that mm-hmm. I would really like to add this but then it doesn't actually fit with the, with what I'm trying to say. And then you're, you kind of run into this kind of, damn, shoot, I wish I had uh, thought of that earlier. And uh, maybe I would have found a, a better way to fit that in. Right. And, I, and I know it's a completely, it's a completely different thing, but when it comes to comic books yourself, so like when you're reading, when you're reading comic issues, and I guess this probably has changed more as you've, gone to more of the writer's side and you think more from a writer's uh, perspective on these things how are you judging something that you're reading as opposed to when before you just read it for your own enjoyment yeah you're doing that now of course partly but now you're also doing it with almost like a a critique 
type of thing as not only we're doing this, but for your own stuff as you try and pick ideas? So I'm definitely not as harsh as I used to be um, on the writers or the artists because I now understand there is only oh so much you can tell, right? Um, to fit in these 22, 23 pages or whatever. So I'm not as harsh as I used to be. And then now when I'm reading, I want to know um, from page one to the last to the last page, like what was accomplished? Did I walk away uh, with new information for from for any of these characters? Um, do I care anymore about the story arc that is you know currently happening within these issues or any of that? And it's actually helped me enjoy the comics a lot better, especially mm-hmm. like the older issues again because there's problematic stuff all over the place, but. <laughs> And by doing, by by not focusing necessarily on the writers or the artists, but focusing solely on the characters themselves and how they present on the page and, you know, treating them as they are, you know, like these actual beings or whatever, it's just made reading the comics a lot, a lot easier, not necessarily a lot easier, but more enjoyable because I'm not, you know, harping on the fact that, uh, you know, Mary Jane wears a size F bra or something like that in this one issue. <laughs> and the next issue, she's like a size C. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause that's what, that's the thing you tend to get, uh, you, you tend to get kind of uh, bogged down in worrying about every detail. I mean, I know as somebody who likes the books myself, when I read, when I read something and then I see it adapted to film or television, I do have a specific like, want of this thing and when i don't get it you know i've voiced it here and and i have had to learn that they're trying to put their own twist on the story they're trying Mm -hmm. to do something different and while you may not necessarily like it along the lines it does eventually fit with uh the arcs now there are some times where they just don't do them well and uh, i'm always gonna stand by certain things but but yeah for sure i totally get the whole uh, kind of just trying to just enjoy the story in general and just trying to continue on and have fun with stuff more. Because I think when you have fun uh, with, with these things, often you can get the, you could get the story driven style and understand the story. And then also there's sometimes where it's character driven and you get the characters. And I think you have a better understanding when you're not looking at everything through a fine tooth comb as opposed to uh, just kind of enjoying the story for what it is and then uh, appreciating what they tried to do on the screen. So on the screen or on the page. So, so for sure, that's uh, something that, that I really uh, appreciate in terms of trying to change my mentality on these things. Now, as we get closer to the end here, I wanted to ask you, if you wanted to sell this issue to somebody and if you wanted to tell them, hey, I really want you to read this, uh, what would be the description that you would give to somebody? All right. Um, broke guy moves into um, high rise with girlfriend, model <laughs> girlfriend, and gets into a scuffle with a school, with a pair of scorn lovers. Yeah. Yeah, I, that... That that sounds about right, and the perfect amount of um of innuendo uh, mixed in with that, and a really really physical fight. 
um, even better than uh, Lifetime style with the stalker eventually <laughs> catching up to the person that they after. And it's a whole fight trying to survive. And then you get, and then you get the horror movie style ending where, oh, is are they gone? Are they really gone? No, they're right. not gone. They come back. So there's always a, always a room for, for a conclusion there. I mean, for me, uh, when it comes to when it comes to this issue, um, I think sometimes you just need to have something that's fun and just and sometimes people want a little bit of a, a little bit of risque. And I thought that they did a good job with this and. And obviously the Venom stuff is, there are a lot of big Venom fans um, in general. So I think if you're a Venom, Spider-Man, Clash type of person, this is kind of where it all starts. So that that's just iconic on its own. Uh, the two of them button heads really for the first time. So, so that was really cool. And that was uh, Amazing Spider-Man 300, uh, Web of Spider-Man. So I made the pick. I mean, you made the pick this time. Um, so I was going to make the pick, but we had discussed last week uh, when I mentioned me looking into Sam Wilson's backstory that he was a pimp. So do you have something for us to look at for next? Actually, I do. It is Captain America and the Falcon issue 171. Okay. Captain and America one, and Let's see. Uh, we've got Steve, T'Challa, and um, Sam. And Sam does something that doesn't make any sense to me, but also makes perfect sense to me as to his character and his loyalty to Steve Rogers. Oh, that! Oh, I'm look. I'm looking forward to reading that and uh, discussing that with you. And before we go, uh, Steph, where can we follow you? And obviously, again, tell us. Tell us some more about what you're doing with Living Heroes and the Kickstarter, as always. All right. So you all can find me on um, most socials at Steph underscore I underscore Will um, for my webcomics, um, BWIT webcomics on uh, Instagram and Parenthood Activate, both website and also uh, Instagram. As far as Living Heroes, uh, we're done. Uh Everything is uh, pretty much in the process now of getting inked and colored. Nice. Uh, physical books will be going out um, maybe much sooner than October. Dang. But uh, we'll, we'll see because who knows with COVID. Yeah. And I'm just really happy because, um, like, not to toot my own horn, but, like, I'm reading some of the stuff back as I see it on the page. And uh, the artist Erin O'Neill has just done such a phenomenal job of, bringing the com like her comedic timing even though like i'm saying hey this panel this should happen blah blah, blah. like her comedic timing and uh the way that she's uh, pretty much put the panels together and laid the page the page layouts is just impeccable like i actually like sam wilson now i made myself <laughs> like sam wilson and i wish that uh white wingfoot and forge could um you know get way more shine than they, than they currently get right now that's that's awesome and um yeah i'm looking forward to reading myself um i'm looking forward to when i get an issue and yes. uh, maybe we maybe we definitely talk about that on here at I some point <laughs> oh yeah that would be great for sure and um of course you can follow me on twitter at ac spotlight 95 um and you can also follow the show marvel cinematic university at mc university pod um shout out to drake j christie for producing you can follow him at the j christie and of course, Black Dragon Roll, Jerome Chang is always lurking somewhere. 
Uh, you can follow him at Black Dragon Roll. So rate, review, subscribe the show. Uh, we're going to continue on this this comic book path. This has been fun so far, and uh, really looking forward to continuing on that road. So for Stephanie Williams, I'm Anthony Canton the Third. This has been Marvel Did What, and we will talk to you next time. Uh-huh.